Hello, this is the first Undead podcast, providing an in-depth capture on your favourite settlements, NPCs and plot twists in the campaign known as the Undead Apocalypse. Today we cover Vandala. We have much to catch up on, refresh ourselves on. So let's start by saying the following story is based on true events. This actually happened, and if you say it didn't, then a curse be placed on your mother to roam the wastelands. Night. Screaming. How great Wensleydale cheeses. Awesome. So, first off, this is where the campaign began. Back here in Vandalin, a small village on the Sword Coast. It was the initial place where I was putting this campaign together. I was both really excited and nervous for this campaign because of how different it was compared to what I have run before for friends and smaller groups. This was the first event sort of campaign on a larger scale. The most I'd ever played D&D with before was six. And that was including myself. I've always run like as a maximum six because it can be very hard for people to get their say in and have their effect if you have such a large group. But I really wanted to give all of my friends and people that I knew a place where we could have a really cool giant story all together and I was really looking forward to making this so I did spend well I came up with a concept pretty quickly I knew I wanted to run an undead undead game because I'm a big fan of zombie based and horror based stories novels films all that jazz so I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew who I wanted to be involved. And most of the people that replied and actually did get involved are people that I have played with in previous campaigns. A few people now have joined, and a few people have asked for others to be involved, and I'm really happy to meet new people. Um, But I just wanted to give a really quick shout-out as the first episode of the podcast, just to acknowledge the history sort of what's brought us to this point and it was i was playing in a good friend of mine's campaign called uh, dan you may recognize him as the hero minty and so dan would run a game and i met some new people that he'd found online i'd run games in my local uh, gaming cafe in saint helens uh it's called momos and if you're ever up there i encourage you thoroughly to check it out it's a great place i met loads of cool people there i ran an online campaign myself and found some new people and so when it came to making a larger project i st- i instantly had a list of about 16 to 17 people that i knew i wanted to get involved with and you know i did have more than that and there was definitely a few people that never got back to me or, you know, this lockdown, they weren't sure how it was going to pan out and such. So 
I then had to rethink my strategy and I was thinking, well, how can I have everyone in the game at the same time? And then I came up with this settlement idea. Rules for why we don't go out at night. Rules for why the sessions run from 7 till 10. So just to explain some of the basics that you already are probably sick of hearing, Campaign takes place in a world overrun with cursed undead. Most of these have been raised or summoned. It's not a natural phenomenon. Someone, some reason, something has brought these cursed creatures to our doorstep. And it's up to us to respond. There is no right or wrong answer. So... I got as many people involved as I could, built up a player roster, and I explained to everyone that in our in our live, what we experience as being 7 till 10 p.m. represents a working day in the life of those on the Sword Coast. So when the sun rises, our adventurers set off out of the gates of the guild and start to walk towards their mission destination. Over the three hours that a session runs, that's when adventurers would be fighting hard, uh, questing, solving puzzles and riddles, and trying to make the world a better place. Then when the sun begins to set, it's up to the adventurers to get back to the guild as soon as possible. I've explained to everyone that the nighttime now under the rule of these fiendish, undead, horrible monstrosities is it's not worth dying for. And it's rife with danger. Everyone chose to stay in at night. But along the way, a few have ventured out. So that explains why we run the sessions that we did. And then I came across the problem of, well, I can't have all the players in at the same time. So then I had to address that problem. And then another would crop up and another. So we came up with a timetabling system. And so five players had the opportunity to join in for a three-hour session. And I would run multiple sessions a week. Um, so far, collectively, working on an average of nine hours per week and i started this in the second half of 2020 we probably have close to 260 hours in game so i just wanted to leave that with you for a second so yeah so a million questions a million decisions a million puzzles a million combats Everything over these past three months has been really, really interesting. And this is the first podcast. And I just want to say I'm really thankful for anyone who is listening, anyone that's interested in this game. It really has been great for myself to run this game during lockdown. I really struggle without having a purpose many of you know that i do work through lockdown and, and such but in the night time it was i'd i'd love to do something i'd love to do something 
And this was as much for myself as it was for you guys. I am really happy when I'm getting the comments that tonight was really fun or they're really enjoying it and they're really engaged. And, and yeah, this wouldn't be anywhere without you guys, but it's also been really, really fun and engaging for me as well. Even if there are times when I don't have enough hours in the day and you might have sensed that I was somewhat tired or I've been, um, had my mind elsewhere momentarily, um, you must understand that overall, this is probably one of the biggest achievements that I've personally undertaken. I've made videos for this. I've made podcasts. I'm making this podcast. I've worked with Kelly on pictures, drawings, made merchandise. I've learned to edit and create content. And um, yeah, as an experiment, I would encourage anyone to do the same. If anybody out there listening to this is thinking about running a campaign for other people, I would tell them to drop everything and start doing it. There's nothing to be afraid of. You you can fake it till you make it. But most of you I know are very capable of doing everything I've just done for 260 hours. I can guarantee it. And having some friends and some people out of town that would stick by you and turn up weekly is a really nice message for myself. And so I just wanted to make sure that on the first of this podcast that I was to explain that to you guys because it really means a lot that you keep turning up. And if you're listening to this, it means even more. So jokes, introduction, big thank you. What happens in this campaign? Everybody's input. We're going to talk about where it all started. So in the past, I've given out uh, pictures, modified actual pictures from Wizards of the Coast. I have piggybacked somewhat on the campaign, which I do own, which is the Lost Minds of Fandelva. I needed to make a lot of content quickly. So I used a lot of diagrams and such from other games, and then I modified it to fit my view. And even though I included characters from the Fandelver game, this game was set much later than that campaign would have run. Imagine if you have played Fandelver, that the world was allowed to continue without adventurers. And everything unfolded in a way that there was a stagnation. And then an apocalypse came. The undead started to crawl out of the ground. Clawing over each other. Brutalizing the innocent. Gaining the advantage only through sheer Heroes of the guild before you fall. There's no one else. I'm not even sure how many people are alive. 
guild seems smaller and smaller every day. Those who were brave enough to step forward were asked by the Grandmaster, the guild leader. He turned around and said that we must go beyond our walls. We must take advantage of the resources that are out there. We must rebuild and we must protect and serve as we always have. So that brings us on to the very first mission. Chronologically, this was the first mission. It's what I'm going to cover first. But after this, I will be leading into going through Fendalin stage by stage what was happening, maybe not in a chronological order. I'm going to do it in the order which I've written the key for Fendalin, and I'll try and be um, as user-friendly as possible. Just because if I was to try and list all of these buildings in order, it happened so long ago and there was so much content here that I will probably fail to keep it in order. But I will remember what happened that first session. So I'm recording this on the 31st of January. And I believe that the game started around the, the end of summertime, close to autumn in 2020. So again, this campaign has run for over three months, I believe. Three months. At an average of nine hours a week. But some have run 12 hour weeks. Some content has been slower than others. Some has been faster. Sometimes we've had major hiccups. If you look back through the Facebook page and you see the pictures created by myself and majority created by Kelly. Um, big shout out to Kelly. She's a wonderful person. And uh, I encourage you to have a look at her other artwork and such. Keep it on track, Fendalin. If you were to bring up the pictures, the diagram of all the buildings under number, and then the diagram of what those numbers mean in the key, we're talking about building number 10, which is the Lion Shield Costa. So when the, when the guild was trying to rebuild, the one thing that they knew they needed was the ability of transport. First things first, if you have a field full of crops, you can't bring it back using your own two hands because you'll eat all of the product before you even get a net gain. So we really needed a cart and maybe a horse to try and pull it back. So the first stop was to go to the Lion Shield Coster. It was somewhat routinely planned from my end. I did tell everyone that that was one of the places that the Grandmaster wanted you to check out because that was the most likely to give you a car. And then I explained to everyone that you should look around some of the farms for something to pull a car. So we'll come to the farms in a moment. Entering into the Lion Shield Costa, we had a group of five adventurers. The building was old, square, and somewhat routinely cared for. It looked to be in use, 
but it didn't look too badly damaged in any which way. Still standing, still shedding water. But the eerie thing was, walking through Fundalin, doors and windows had a black shimmer across them. Shiny black ooze gathered like a fog but it sat on the doors and windows holding tightly to their vertical surfaces this was magical darkness it prevented the characters from seeing inside it meant that characters would be walking in blind they had no warning about what was inside so the characters decided to for go going in through an entrance which looked very civilized and was more of the office side of this caravan hall. And they decided to go into the barn entrance where the, the carts themselves would be. They were immediately met by upturned carts, spikes, and a general array of broken crates, boxes. Passing through the darkness was easy. The thing had stood in their way, but this barricade now was in front of them. Slowly they climbed up. The carts and boxes began buckling, breaking, crashing. I believe it was the monk named Garrus who made it first to the top. What he saw was sickening. A woman, tall, fair, blonde, was tied to stakes in the ground. She was held down by ropes. It was a symbol of the war. The symbol was a crude gathering, both a crucifix and a sickle. It was this flat, blackened piece of iron. Sat on the wall and this woman began to shake her head violently, side to side, scream. The monk and the party ventured further forward, crossing over the barricade and the woman began to scream. Scream turn to laughter. <laughs> this woman was experiencing summoning effect. Out of her mouth crawled this gigantic human fat blubbery skin skin wobbled the slightest of mood. It never stopped this dreadful laughter. Battle broke out. More of these fat jiggly things arrived from the ground. The heroes bested them only by targeting their attacks against the mark of the sickle cross. The last one remained and he finally slayed it. 
summoning affected, robbed this poor woman of her life. Her hair had started to turn black. She remained lifeless on the ground. She was identified as Lenine, the woman who owned the caravan Costa. First assignment, the first survivor found for a while. And it was already a doomed cause. Venturing through from the side of the Costa, going on to where the office was, the paperwork. And the papers seemed to be very much receipts, stock brokering, reports on who's paid and who's not. The heroes had found that one of the carts used in the barricade was somewhat usable. It had a simple hole in the cargo area, but a plank or two, and it would be fine. Leaving the lion sheep costume, there are many farms in Fandala. But one was somewhat more established than the others. They ventured to number 38, known as the Older Leaf Farm. So the Older Leaf Farm was large, clearly had fields for animals rather than fields for crops. And sitting there in the paddocks was a few horses, one of which looked to be corrupted. Flakes of magical darkness hung onto its rotting skin, and one of its eyes was missing, replaced with a ball of pure black inky ooze. Beyond this horse was another, a female and her coal. They looked terrified. This stoic, demonic horse was staring at the farmhouse. And the heroes backed away momentarily. They went towards the house and they heard creatures, multiple of them, crawling around the floorboards, scratching clawing, muttering. The darkness prevented them from seeing inside. And they were so shaken from their last battle that they didn't have the... Something worse might have come for them if they stormed this farmhouse. The heroes then went to the fields and slayed this demonic horse and allowed the female and her cult to escape with them. The rest of the first session was spent scouting out the town and every building looked the same. Darkness had washed over them. But returning to the Lion Shield Costa, all of the darkness had faded away curse was lifted from one building. It was quickly realised that 
Every one of these buildings was now The undead waited inside the darkness to come. They needed to be excised. Looking around the town, the last thing the first first heroes of our guild, well, the first new line of heroes from our guild, they went to the shrine. It's number 20 on the map for Fandal. They found this cenotaph, this large column of hardened stone, the symbol praising a god known as Tamora. This god was known for being lucky, but the cenotaph had been broken, sliced in two through hardened stone. It seemed impossible. Just like that, the first session was over. Fendalin had been established, and my players knew now what they were up against. It truly seemed at this point, from my own point of view, that I might be able to run this one town and that people would simply get bored. I had to simplify the campaign in a way that three-hour sessions would work because... I couldn't commit to longer sessions. I was running more sessions, not longer sessions. I couldn't make it more complicated. So I only allowed our players to see these bite-sized chunks of the cursed apocalypse they ventured into. And so our confidence was grown. My players understood the game, I understood the direction I needed to go in. I had designed a whole town and given everyone the freedom to show what they thought was the most important thing to get done, the most important place to save. So it had truly begun I didn't know how far in depth I really needed to go. Soon it was talk of the land outside of Fandali. And we will be covering every place, every story, every inch of the undead apocalypse. Really looking forward to doing more of this podcasting. I hope I was able to generate some nostalgia for those who were there. I hope I was able to generate some intrigue for anyone who wants to come on board. It only got tougher from the first session. But you all got stronger. And I learned I learned how to get organized and I learned how to overcome the differences between every class in this game, and that was to simply embrace it. We started to get more and more unique characters. And we started to understand that people wanted to play differently. 
And over time, we've probably spent more quality time together creating this story, this balance, than most would optionally spend on most hobbies. And again, just want to finish on one thing. I'm very, very thankful for you all being here, especially if you're listening. And I don't know whether this will be any good. It may be crap. If you've listened, if you've watched, if you've engaged, I have nothing but thanks to spread your way. Thank you for listening, and this is the first in the podcast series about the Undead Apocalypse. I'm hopefully going to spend a a little bit less time um, going through every building, because otherwise the first 40 episodes would be about just Vandalin. We are going to start to speed up and ramp up. I just wanted to do something a little bit different, a little bit more in-depth, as it's the first one. So I, I hope you've enjoyed it. And it's been a lot of fun. Don't forget, if you say this isn't true, damn your mother to love Wensleydale cheese. Goodbye.